Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Now, church, listen, I know some of you weren't here last week, but remember where we left off, okay? Last week, we spent our time diving into God's Word. Um, Basically, we were talking about the creation, right? All of creation. And more specifically, last week, we talked about the creation of man. Uh, We were made in God's image. And, of course, uh, we called it the Imago Dei. You go, what is Imago Dei? It means made in the image of God, okay? We also learned that God created the world in six days, six literal 24-hour days. The reason we knew that is because when you look and it says, and this was the first day, anytime it's used in number, it's talking about a literal 24-hour day, okay? That's very important. Why? Because the universities and, and even just elementary all the way up is going to tell you that, man, we've been, we've been here and we've been evolving over millions of years and God, no, 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 listen, he spoke, he created, he created it in six days. But on the sixth day, he did something extraordinary. He created man. He created you and I. Now listen, Genesis chapter 1 highlights God as creator. Everybody got that? Chapter 2 portrays him a little bit different. You go, what do you mean? He portrays him as um, a gardener. We're going to see that. We're going to see as a surgeon. Don't you just love that? And we're going to see as a matchmaker. So God is the creator, but now in chapter 2, as we start approaching that, it takes a little bit of a turn. Takes a little bit of turn. A surgeon, a precise surgeon, as we'll see next week, how God took a rib and he made woman. So that's going to be amazing. Now, needless to say, some believe that chapters one and two, well, they came from different authors and they offer conflicting accounts. In fact, they are actually complement one another. Listen, if you're taking notes, chapter 1 gives you what I call a wide-angle view of the creation story. Chapter 1, wide-angle view. Chapter 2 will now zoom in. We'll take the zoom lens, and it's going to bring us up close and personal. You say, how so? Well, if you were to look at verse 4, it uses the term Elohim, but it also has the term the Lord God, Y-W-H-W, Yahweh, okay? So it's a little bit more personal, Yahweh. And so again, we see that that's going to be up close and personal. Chapter 1 summarizes all the days of creation and focuses on God's crowning creation, which is humanity. And just in case you weren't, last, you weren't here last week, we talked about that, that crowning creation, right? Look at verse 26 real quick so we can get a good run and go. And it said, then God said, Right, God is speaking. It's been amazing. Now, before we get into this, I don't know if this blows your mind, but but here's what I love. I love that God speaks and creation listens and and they're obedient. But He spoke stars into existence, and He spoke this, and He let there be the land come up, and the land says, "Yes, sir, God." And and that's the God we serve. And it brings me comfort because maybe you're here and you're struggling with some issues, and you're struggling with some problems, and you've got some stresses in your life. I love that we can run to God, and He's going to take care of them. You see, we don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. Oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? Why is this happening? Even though we do, we can know that our God, our creator God, he says, listen, I've got you. I've got you. Here's where we struggle. Here's where we struggle, saints. We struggle when we don't understand the whole picture. We struggle when we go, oh, but wait a minute. This is how I think it should work out, and it's not working out that way. 
And, and God goes, no, 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 hold on. I have something far, far better for you. Far better for you. As a matter of fact, today I was talking to a friend of mine, another pastor friend, and he texted me and he's like, you know that building, that building that we wanted, they sold it, bro, they sold it. I said, dude, I'm so bummed for you, man, I'm sorry. He goes, that was a perfect building, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm saying, and here's what I always say for us, right? Maybe God is going to get it ready for y'all, right? Somebody's going to go in there, they're going to clean it all up, and maybe <laughs> maybe one day, and he, and he texts me back, he's like, dude, what are you doing to me? What are you saying? Like, don't, I, I appreciate the encouragement, but, but I'm like, you know what, though? That's how God is. Either somebody's going to take a building for us, and they're going to make it all nice and neat so that it gets it ready for us, because that's how God does things, or he's going to have something far better than we could ever imagine. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. That's, that's how life is. See, and, and God is the creator. Now, notice again, verse 26, and God said, thank you, Lord, Elohim. He said, let us. Make man in our image. There's the Trinity guys talking to each other in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the air, over cattle, over all the earth, every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So again, we see God said, let us make man, man in our own image, the Imago Dei. We were made in the image of God. And you go, what does that mean? That's so important. Why? Because it, we, we looked at six things last week. Let me give them to you really quick, and you can take notes if you missed them last week. But first thing, we're made in the image of God with dignity. Guys, with dignity. You go, what does that mean? Well, dignity and worth. Okay? Here's the thing. The assertion is that man is made in the image shows that each man's true dignity and worth. So we don't take somebody's life. And we don't look in them as second-class citizens. See, we've struggled with that all the, the whole country for years upon. This is, you're a little bit lower. You're a different color of skin. You're a little bit socioeconomic down here. And God goes, no, 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 listen. That's not how we should look at people. We should look at them as in the image of God made in dignity and worth. Amen. The second thing we learned last week, guys, is our destiny. Our destiny. So we go from dignity to destiny. Our maker so designed us so that our nature finds final satisfaction and fulfillment in a relationship, but only in a relationship with him. You go, what does that mean? Well, because we're made in the image of God, God has put eternity in our hearts. The problem is we're trying to find satisfaction in everything else. And it isn't until we realize that the scales fall off our eyes and we go, God, it's you. You're the only one that brings satisfaction. We keep trying to find it in everything and everyone and looking for love in all the wrong places. That's exactly what we do until we see that God goes, oh, you're the only one that truly satisfied. You see why? Because we were created with what? With destiny, with purpose. God says, that's what I want. He says, but I'm also going to create you with freedom. With freedom. And see, God has given us the freedom to make choices, right? Choices in life. And here's the important part, choices to choose him. You see, the greatest thing about love, the greatest thing about love is that, is that God gives us freedom to choose him. You see, real love would be, uh, would, real love is him going, okay, listen, Ben, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you all my attributes. I'm going to show you, I'm going to put eternity in my heart, but I love you so much. I'm going to give you the free will to choose me or not to choose me. You see, we think love is a, a, a little bit different. We think love is a feel. Oh, I just feel God. It's a choice. And why is it a choice? Because it's freedom. It's freedom. And, and that's the whole beauty of it, guys. We were created with freedom to make that choice and to choose him. 
If we didn't have that choice, then every one of us would be walking around like a robot and God going, okay, so we would be created with, with you know, I mean, here we are. This is what we do. Here, okay, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm going to do. I don't have any freedom in my life to choose one way or another. This is what God wants me to do. And so we see that, guys. We, we see that's not God's plan. Number four, he created us, and I love this, guys, with personality. The assertion is, is that each one of us is created with personality. We all have different personalities, right? And that's what I love, right? We're not all the same. And some of us, we're just, we're introverts and some of us are extroverts and some of us are kind of in the middle. I don't know where you, what you would call you, right? But, but nonetheless, we're all different personalities. We're just different personalities. And so that's what God says. He says, listen, I'm not just going to make one set, right? One set. He says different. We're going to, some people, I mean, some people have a quirky sense of humor, and other people will go, I don't find that funny at all. And some people, when another of the uh, humans made in the image of God will fall down, some of you laugh, let's be honest, and others go, oh, are you okay? And that's just our personality, right? You, some of you make sure they're okay before you start to laugh. Okay, because they fell down, and I know it's funny. Some of the, I mean, I wouldn't, I, there are times that I've walked into a window, not looking, and people laughed at me, right? That's just how it is. But it's personality. It's personality. Guys, let's be careful in relationships. We don't, we don't try to squish somebody's personality to fit in our mold. You see, relationships should be, man, I love you for who you are. I love that you laugh loud. And you might laugh that, that, that I'm steady as a rock, however it might be. But be careful that we're not going, man, that bugs me. And I'm just, because it's, it's the Imago Day. So we have what? Guys, we have dignity, we have destiny, we have freedom, personality. But he's also created us with morality. We talked about that. The principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong, good and bad behavior, in contrast to the animal kingdom who has been taught between right and wrong. See, that's in us. That's in us. We know even from the beginning, and that's the difference. He's put that in us. It's when we realize that our, mortal, that, that, that our morality has to, ha, cannot save us. It's when we realize that, then we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus. But we are created with that morality. You can tell a dog, right? Eventually, you can train your dog not to go in the house. You can train your dog to do tricks, but they don't, they're not born that way. And we are different than the animal kingdom. And of course, the sixth and final sense, we were created with spirituality. We talked about that last week. And this refers, now listen, this refers to the religious process of reformation, which aims to re- recover the original shape of man oriented at the image of God, as exemplified by the founders of the sacred texts and the religions of the world. What do you mean? We're created. Now, we have to be careful with this one, right? Because you'll hear somebody say, I'm spiritual. That does not make you a follower of Christ. Because the demons are also spirits. So you've got to be careful, okay? Someone comes and you go, hey, I'm spiritual, No, no, no. Are you a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Because if you are, then as God comes and lives in your heart, what happens? Then you are a spiritual being that's born again. That's what the scripture says. So let's be careful. But he created us to what? He created us to recover 
our original shape. How so? Adam was created, right? His spirit was alive. He's the only one that was created with his spirit alive. Do you guys see that? It's when he fell that all of a sudden we had to, we were born into sin. Adam wasn't, wasn't created in sin. He was alive and he knew and he walked with God and he felt him. He's going to be walking in the garden and he's going to see God. He's going to talk to him. He's going to have fellowship. And you go, Ben, I wish I had that. We do. We miss it because, guys, guys, we miss it because we allow all of the world and everything to just mess us up. And to rob us of our fellowship with God, we allow that. And I know that I'm guilty. I allow that, Lord. Why do I allow that? I know you're so good and wonderful and gracious. And, and come on, Lord. Come on. And, and, and the enemy says, no, no, no. I want to trip him up. I want to trip her up. I want to, I want to, I want to get him to doubt. I want to, I want to do this. And we forget, we forget at times, church, that we're in a spiritual battle. And the enemy wants nothing more than to knock you down and knock you out and trip you up. So we were created. We were created in the image of God. And again, I was thinking about this. The terms for image and likeness, they're kind of slightly different here in chapter 1. Image has more to do with appearance, and likeness has to do more with an abstract similarity, but but both essentially mean the same thing here in this context. We are the same. So you go, well, help me understand. The image of God is understanding of who man is begins with knowing that we are made in his image. Man is different from every other order of created being because he has a created consistency with God. Now, chapter 1. God created everything. Six beautiful days, God spoke all into existence. So tonight, I thought, okay, we talked about creation. What do I want to talk about tonight? Well, I want to talk to you about rest, about rest. You see, because it was Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, I began to pray, God, what do you have? What do you have for us? If you look at the chapter, it looks like it shouldn't have been broken there. It looked like he should have kept going, and and chapter 2 should have started right around verse 4. And so I'm going, okay, God, do you want to talk about the seventh day and then just go right into uh, more of a a zoomed-in lens of of the creation of man? And God, no, he says, here's what I feel like people are missing it. They're missing it because we're really not resting in who God is. We're not resting. And so tonight I want to talk to you about rest. Why? For you see, day seven, God rests from his work in creation. God rests. We can recognize the finished work of God in creation and the Sabbath rest. Now listen, we can recognize this as a foreshadow of Christ's finished work on the cross. And we can have rest in him. Now let's chat for just a moment before we jump into tonight's study, okay? Alistair Begg, one of the the pastors that's still around, Alistair Begg, great pastor, he once said this, quote, In the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted... In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the Acts, he's preached. In the Epistles, he's explained. And in Revelation, he's expected. So tonight, now if that's true, if in the Old Testament he's predicted, then we should start seeing Jesus early on. Early on, because why? We know that the Old Testament always points to the cross. We know that. 
we have to look for him in Scripture. We have to look for him, right? Because again, we know that in, in the gospel, he's revealed, right? We see that in John, we're on Sunday mornings. In Acts, he's preached. The epistles, he's explained. And then in Revelation, he is expected. So tonight, guys, let's dig deep. We're going to see a clear example of how Jesus is actually predicted in this passage. More, more importantly, God gives us a beautiful picture illustration in just three verses. You go, what do you mean? Well, let me give you this example. He used the sacrifice of a Passover lamb as a picture that pointed to the future perfect lamb of God. Our passage tonight shows a picture that God painted to point to Jesus as well. Now, don't get me wrong. This was an actual event that actually happened, a literal seventh day after a six literal days of creation. So it's not just an illustration. Okay, this literally happened. Right. But automatically, you know what? It says after seven, after in the seventh day, after six days, it says God literally rested. But this automatically begs the question, why? Why would an all powerful God have to rest? We asked the question, was he tired? And of course not. His rest wasn't for his benefit. Now, listen, it was for ours. You, you got to see it. Right. Tonight, I want each of us here to recognize the finished work of God in creation and his Sabbath rest as a foreshadow of Christ's finished work on the cross and the rest we have in him. Now, I told you before, we'll have to do some turning in our Bibles so you can see and mark those places for your future reference. But let me give you, let me give you three parallels between the finished work of God in creation here in verses 1 through 3 and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If you're taking note, jot this down. We see, number one, a work was finished. We see that. You go, okay, let me write that down. A work was finished. Now, we see this in creation, verses 1 and 2a, but we'll also see it in Christ, John chapter 19, verse 30. Okay, so we're going to go to John chapter 19, verse 30 in just a little bit. That's point number one. The, the what? A work was finished. Number two, jot this down, a rest, right? A rest was entered. A rest was entered. In creation, Pastor Ryan, yes, verses 2b. In Christ, Yeah, we find that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So you've got a work that was finished. We're going to see that in verses 1 and 2. In Christ, we're going to see that in in John chapter 19, verse 30. We see a rest was entered in creation. That's going to be the latter part of of, of verse 2. And we're going to see that in Christ, right? Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 10. And the last one, the last parallel, is a blessing promised. In chapter 2, verse 3 of Genesis, we see that in creation, he promises a blessing. And of course, in Christ, we see that found in Revelation 21, 6 and 7. Revelation 21, 6 and 7. Again, just if you're taking note, because I have a tendency to talk fast, we see a work that was finished a rest that was entered, and a blessing that was pronounced. A blessing that was pronounced. We're going to see it in creation, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then in Christ, John, Hebrews, and Revelation. 
That's where we pick up our story tonight, church. Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at point number one. A work was finished. First of all, let's talk about creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2a says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. Let me stop right there, because here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the work was finished in creation. The work was finished. Why is that important? Well, if you're a highlighter or an underliner, go ahead and underline that word. That's very important. Why? Because those who hold to an evolution theory have no choice but to eliminate or ignore or rewrite the first part of this Genesis, especially in our passage tonight. Why? Because God said right here that creation was finished. The word finished in the Hebrew is brought to a completion. God said, listen, this is it. It's all done. It's done. And you go, why is that, why is that so important? Well, here's why. There are dozens of theories of evolution, each one a little bit different from the others. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they are continually ongoing processes. By nature, processes never end and they are never finished. So if someone says, hey, man, I believe in evolution, you go, well, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, God said it was done. We're not, we're not evolving anymore. We're not evolving. You go, wow, that's right. That's right. That's right. The Bible says, guys, and we just looked at it, the heavens and the earth were finished. And look at the words that God used. He uses finished, he says ended, and had made. See, there's no mistake in the fact that this passage teaches us that there were six days were accomplished, creation was complete, and that's exactly what this passage clearly teaches. Six days, creation. So you go, well, Ben, what does that mean? Well, listen, we're faced with a choice at this point, either where evolutionary philosophy is true or God's word is true. God's word is true. Now, I believe in the word of God. God said, it's done. Six days. Now, he's going to give us a week for a reason. But he says, it's done. It's done. It's finished. When he spoke the stars into existence, we saw the video last week. We saw how amazing and how big. I don't know why God would make a Canis Majoris or even one larger than that. I have no idea, but that's God. And, and, and he does. But I'll tell you what it does for me. If God can make a star so big like Canis Majoris, he can handle my little problems. He can handle, guys, the frustrations that I feel. He can handle the inadequacies that I feel on a daily basis. When I run and I put my faith and trust in him and when I hold on to him and when I talk to him every single day and when I walk with him and I know, I I say, listen, Lord, I don't know how this is all going to work out. But listen, if you're a believer here today, you know that it's going to work out no matter what for your good, for what God wants to do so that he would be glorified. There are times in our life's church where we say, I want God to be glorified. And then he'll take us down a journey, a journey in our spiritual walk that we go, no, God, that hurts. Stop. Ow, wait a minute. You're going, stop. Wait, wait, stop. And God's going, no, no, no. Listen, I want, I'm going to be glorified. Trust me. And then when you get to the end result, you're like, oh, that was awesome, God. That was awesome. You're amazing. I never want to go through that again, God, but that was good. 
That was good. And then God goes, hold on, we got, we got a lot more work to do. We got a lot more work to do. Guys, I believe the Bible. I believe that it says that all of God's creative work was finished after six days. Everything that could ever be or could ever be created was finished. Nothing was added anymore. There is nothing we could ever do to add to God's creation. Listen, we can rearrange parts of it and use it, but we can't add to it. And I would contend that we can't take away from it either. Again, note the verse. It says, the heavens and the earth. Guys, this is the atmosphere, the heavens, the stars you see out tonight created that. He created the earth and everything after. And the Bible says, notice, and the host of them. He created the stars and the galaxy. God created them all. Why is this important? Why is this important, guys? Because this is the foundation of your faith right here. If you believe that, if you believe that, then you'll believe that our Savior came from a virgin. And you'll believe that he died on the cross for your sin. What area of the Bible does the enemy attack more than any? Genesis 1.1. That's, that's the verse he goes to. If he can get us to doubt, like, like if he can. And so, and so what we do, guys, is we go, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure on the terminology and the Hebrew and everything. Maybe God created all of this through, maybe he used evolution. And so it took millions of years, and it's like, no, 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 listen, because, because here's what we start to do. God's word said that it was a literal 24-hour. Now, when you get to heaven, you can ask him, how does this all play out? But I want to tell you right now, if you, start to, if you start to kind of play around with the scripture, and you start to maybe, you know, try to insert your theories in what you think it might be, that's how it's going to be for the rest of your walk. You see... When it comes to the essentials of the faith, and you're going to go, well, what does that really mean? And here's what it does. It weakens your walk with God. Because you're going, oh, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't. I, are you saved? I hope so. I hope so. I, I prayed a prayer. I, I hope so. Guys, think about it. He created the stars. He created galaxies. God did it. All creation was finished. Man was on the earth at this time. And you know what God says? God says, man, it was very good. It was very good. Before, he said, that's good. That's good. And he looked at Mrs. Alice and he said, that's very good. That's very good. That's right, right? Why? Because my sister's created in the Imago Dei. She's in the image of God. Right? That's, you guys got to catch that. Because that's what God says. Oftentimes we, because of our lifestyle, portray that God is some big bully in the sky waiting to clobber us over the head. I'm sorry, God, I won't step out of line. God's going, I love you. I love you. Are you kidding me? Now, the path you're about to take, you're going to end up hurting yourself. And there's going to be some serious consequences of that. And I don't like to see you hurt that deep. You see, because it's just not an outward, it's just not an outward uh, that hurt. It's a deep emotional pain that what we do, guys, is we bury deep, deep within our heart and it begins to 
It begins to dictate who we are. And sometimes that pain, and those emotional things that we bury deep down, they act like, it acts like a jail cell and we're in bondage. We're in bondage. We can't get out and we don't know how and, and that's how we treat people. I, I saw that today. I saw it today and it broke my heart. God said it's very, very good. The work is finished. But there's another time in the Bible where we read about the work being finished. Is there not? You go, where is that? Hold your place in Genesis and turn over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Now, we're going to get to John chapter 19 pretty soon in our Sunday morning study, but I just want to show you something real quick. John chapter 19. Hold your place because we'll come back to Genesis. We pick it up in verse 28. Now, we know the story. Jesus is on the cross. At this point, I want you to close your eyes for just a moment and imagine the scene. Your Savior, your Messiah, Jesus, has been brutally beaten. Blood is everywhere. Ribbons of his flesh have been pulled out. A crown of thorns has been put on his head. He's been stripped naked, and there he is on a cross. And when you come up to scene, you see him. And it says in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Guys, we're minutes away from him dying for us. Now, a vessel of full full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. You see, the work, guys, a work was finished in Christ. God completed his work in creation by what? By declaring it's finished. It's good. It's done. Jesus did the same thing. When he completed his work on earth, his atoning work on the cross, he cried, it is finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, he declared that everything necessary for salvation was complete. Now, here's where we should find rest, guys. Why? Because we can add nothing to his finished work. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what we do. Now, we don't do it out loud, okay? But a lot of times we do this. We'll see Jesus on the cross and Jesus say, here's what we think he says. It is finished as long as you do this, Brother Joe. Beverly, as long as you smile at people and don't give them a hard time. We want to add, don't we? And we forget that the word finish, what, what, what the word finish means. 
Now, we wouldn't say that, and you almost laugh. It's kind of comical. I mean, come on, seriously. But we'll add some works in there. We'll add some works. And we never find, we never find rest. You see, Jesus, guys, is the author and finisher of our salvation. It is his work, his grace, and his love that saves us. Do we get it? Do we understand that? Here's why. If I can get real for just a moment. The devil uses this particular tool to get us to doubt that we're actually saved based upon our works for God. You go, what do you mean? Let me illustrate it. Let me illustrate this point with two dads, okay? One dad is in heaven right now, and the other is still here on earth. One day I was talking to this dad, and I was sitting by his hospital bed. This dad was 81 years old, wasn't in good health, smoked a lot, believed in Jesus, had a fall, had a tumble, you know, had some bruising on the side of his face and just just could not recover. And I remember sitting there and, and holding his hand and I looked at him and he looked like he was mumbling a little bit and I asked him and I said, did you just pray? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, why? And I said, just wondering. I was just wondering if you were praying. Now he's three days in the hospital, okay, not able to walk or anything else. Very little little old man and And I said, did you pray? And he said, yes. And then he turns around and he says, I hope God hears me. That's what he says. I hope God hears me. And I said, he will. And then then he said, I know he will. I know he will. But the thing that struck me interesting is he said, I hope God hears me. Because the one thing that, that this little dad missed was the grace of God and the work and the finished work of Jesus Christ. It would be four days later that he would meet his Savior face to face. The other dad, the other dad is still alive. And we were walking down the path one day, and we were talking, and we were just visiting and talking and talking, and of course we were talking about God and stuff, and One of the things that struck me interesting about that was this dad said to me, I hope when Jesus comes, I'll get to go. Now, this man's a believer. This man reads his Bible through and through every year, faithfully. But he said this, it struck me. I hope I get to go when Jesus comes. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, this is exactly where this is where I really want to be at. Why? Here's what, here's what we got to get, guys. We really need to put this to bed in our hearts. Or else we'll be restless in our walks with God. And then we'll begin to serve him for the wrong reasons. And love will not be the motivator, but fear of not being saved. Did you catch that? This is important. Why? Because... Because when we, when we have attitudes and we're a little bit afraid and we go, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure. I hope God hears me. I hope he hears my prayers. Or I hope that, okay, and we're, we're standing on that. I'm thinking, no, 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 here's what's going to happen. We're going to read our Bibles because we're fear of, not, of not, not going with Jesus. 
We're going we're gonna to serve because we go, oh, man, I want, I want, I want God to like me. I want, I want to find approval in him, so I'll serve at my church. Or we'll get out our wallets and we'll give money because we want God to go, oh, yeah, he really helped my kingdom. And we're missing the point. We're missing the point. The point is, is that we should do all that stuff because we love God. Not because we feel that we're going to get saved. But the problem is, is the devil comes, guys. He comes in here and he says, no, 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 no. Listen, see, see, I'm going to whisper in your ear a little bit. You're, I don't know. Are you really saved? Is, was God with Jesus on the cross enough? Because if he's not enough, you better do something. Maybe you need to tilt the uh, favor a little bit to your side. And that's why people who are mess ups and 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 get into trouble and make bad choices all the time, they'll tell you stuff like, I can't go to church. The church will burn down when I get there. I can't do this because I'm a mess. I've, I've just, I've gone from one bad thing to another, bad to another, bad to another. Now you want me to go to church? I don't think so. <laughs> and when they're missing it, guys, they're missing it. And I want to put it to bed. Why? Because we need to serve God because we love him. Just like it is his work that saves us, it's his work that keeps us saved. His grace that keeps us saved and his love that keeps us saved. You guys remember this? Check this out. Jot this down. This is a good verse to memorize. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, Be confident in this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Guys, he's, he, there, there's a good work going on inside you. Pastor, I don't feel like there's a good work. I know. There are times I don't either. God's, God's I mean, listen, I'm not going to argue with his word. We need to be confident that he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. He's going to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. I don't think we do this, right? But I think it'd be awesome. Get up tomorrow morning, look in the mirror and go, God's still working on you. I mean, he's not finished with me yet. He's not finished. What are you, what are you going to do today, God? What are we going to work on today? What are we going to work on today? Right? There used to be an old song in Sunday school saying, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. I don't know the rest of it, but it's something like that, right? And that's what I like. God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And I guess some of you who lift weights, you could say you're still under construction, right? God's still doing a work. God's still doing a work. Guys, all because, all because he had already finished the work on the cross. He's finished all the work that's necessary. The work is finished. The finished in creation, and it's finished in Christ. Real quick, do you guys remember Lazarus? Do you remember when Lazarus died? Okay, do you remember? Yeah, we know the story, Pastor. Yeah, four days in the tomb, he stinketh, right? It was the other day Josh was telling me the story about about this guy who, he just stunk in an airplane, and it was just you got to you got to tell you got to get the story. But anyways, it reminded me of this. But but he stunk, right? Now here's what I love about this. Here's what I love about Lazarus. Lazarus in the tomb was dead. D e a d. Okay. 
And he didn't do a single thing to help God out, did he? You don't you didn't see people getting behind the stone and going, Lazarus, hey, do something. Jesus about to say, hey, yeah, wiggle your toe and we'll let you know. He didn't say any of that, right? Because he was dead. He was dead. You guys know. You know what it means to be dead. It's dead. And that's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. Why? Because, because before we're born again, we were dead and we couldn't do anything. So the question, where, where, where does that come from? Where does it, well, my good looks. I'm so good looking. God had to save me. Hey, I come from a long, long family of pastors. God's got to save me. I mean, hello. You see, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And here's where you've got to, listen, you've got to put that to bed. You've got to put that to bed. You've got to go, okay, I'm saved because of what Jesus is doing. I'm saved because of the finished work of Christ. Do you guys remember last September, right? Where all this thing was going crazy and the stars are lined up and Jupiter's going to go here and it freaked people out. I mean, everybody's like, Jesus is coming back. It freaked people out. But, but the point is, is that, listen, because of the finished work of Christ, we shouldn't even be worried about that. But people were. Because they feel like their works Man, I'm going to run out of time here, guys. Number two, go back in Genesis. Parallel number two. A rest was entered in creation. So there's a rest, okay? Notice what it says in verse two. On the seventh day, God ended, that's finished, the work which he had done. Amen. Notice verse uh, 2b. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. A rest was entered in creation. Now, we've already said that God rested on the seventh day for our benefit, not his. Later on, when God gives the law to Moses some 2,500 years later, he commanded that the Israelites keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So we need to understand that. Now, here's what I want you to keep in mind. God didn't rest on the seventh day because, right, because he was tired and he needed some time off. He rested because he had accomplished the work that he set out to do. In other words, here's what it means. Simply nothing was left out. There were no no loose ends. You go, what does the word mean? Well, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle because it's the Hebrew word Shabbat. Shabbat. And God, Shabbat. So keep this in mind as well. This is interesting. Although God rested on the seventh day, we find nowhere in Scripture that God gave him instructions to do the same. Instead, he saved that command for Israel as part of the law of Moses, something later on. A seven-day week is permanently ingrained in man because of this. And I don't know if you know this, but back in the French Revolution, they had attempted to change the seven-day work week to a ten-day work week. And it never, it, it, I mean, it never, it never came to anything. Why? Because we are on a seven-day cycle. Why? Because God is on a seven-day cycle. We see it right here. We see it right here. So why did God set, set aside a day of rest? Why, why would he say, you know? He set aside to provide a day of rest and reflection for the Israelites. On that day, they were told to rest in reflection of all the wonderful works of God. 
They were to rest in the fact that God had delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. We know that. They were to rest in the fact that he had saved them from Pharaoh. They were to rest in the fact that he delivered them from, his, from their enemies. And so we see that God rested, and he says, now, 2,500 years later, Israel, do this. The problem is, before we jump into Christ, is that we have a whole bunch of people going, okay, we still need to keep the Sabbath. And they built a religion around it. The issue is, guys, think about this. It it wasn't made, right? God didn't say that so we we would be in bondage to that. He said, I want you to rest and reflect on who I am. And so God moved from the picture of rest in Genesis, right, to the promise of rest through the prophets. And he says, and, and you're going to find rest in, in Christ. And so we find rest in Christ. Where do we find this? The chapters, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Originally, I had printed this out in the New King James Version, but I like the way the New Living Translation says it a little bit better. So you might have a New King James. Listen to it in the New Living Translation. This is the promised rest in Christ. Verse 1 says, God promise, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did, no, it, but it did them no good because they didn't share their faith with those who listened to God. Verse 3. For only we who believe can enter his rest. For as others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know, we know it ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Now, again, remember, he's referencing back. Hebrews is now referencing back to what we're just reading. But in the other passage, God says, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God sent another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had a success, had succeeded in giving him this rest, God would have not spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is the special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest and have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. Guys, Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 10 is just referencing this rest. Now, the things that we need to grab here, guys, is you see the idea is carried out without a pause from Hebrews chapter 3. And it tells us that unbelief, guys, kept the generation that escaped Egypt from entering Canaan. It was unbelief. And it's the same today. Those that don't have any rest, uh, they may be walking in unbelief. The promise remains of entering his rest, and we can enter that rest, how, church? By faith. By faith, we, we believe. Unbelief will make us fall short of the rest that God has for us. An old Puritan commentator, John Owen, described five features of this rest for the believer. He says this, rest means peace with God. When you're not born again, you don't have peace with God. 
He says rest means freedom from um, bondage-like spirit in the worship and the service of God, right? Freedom. Rest means freedom. He says rest means deliverance from the burden of the Mosaic law. He says rest means freedom from the worship according to Mean it means freedom of worship according to the gospel, and rest means rest that God Himself enjoys. Moy, don't we want that rest? Don't we want that rest? And then, of course, verses three through nine, guys, of Hebrews is just—it's—it's it's proof that the that the rest remains for God's people, for God's people. So God says, "Listen, on the seventh day." I'm not tired, but I want to show you a beautiful pattern and a beautiful illustration. And then, of course, the writer of Hebrews quotes it and says, it's, it's for us. We should be able to have this rest. And that's a rest that we should be looking for. That's a rest that we should be longing for. It's a rest that we go, man, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I lay down on my, my pillow at night. Man, I'm just, I know I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How do you know you're saved? Man, I put my faith and trust in God. I believe in him. I believe in him. And of course, last parallel, guys, the last parallel we see is the blessing pronounced. Go back to Genesis real quick. Just Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. It says, then God, notice, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he had Shabbat. He had rested from all his work, which he has created which he has created. A blessing was pronounced in creation. And throughout all of chapter one, God is pictured of speaking and working all through the first six days. God is actively creating. But here on the seventh day, he's not. Over and over, Moses repeats that there are three verses that God was finished. He was done. The work was ended. To recognize the goodness of his handiwork. To pronounce blessing, verse 3 says, he has blessed the seventh day and sanctify it. Back in chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says, and God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. On the seventh day, God looked back over all he had made. He saw the goodness of his creation. He saw all the stars. He saw the planets, the earth, and all the unspoiled majesty, the birds and the fish and the animals. And there he looked, and he saw Adam and Eve, the crown of his creation. And he knew what they would do. He knew that they would rebel against him. And yet, he still pronounced the blessing. What's the blessing? Well, let me close with this, guys. Let's close with the blessing in Christ. Okay, last turn, Revelation 21, verses 6 and 7. Revelation 21, 6 and 7. John writes, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give the fountain of water freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Guys, there's a blessing pronounced in Christ. And once again, we see this where, he, where God says, it's done. It's done. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. It is finished. Nothing could be added or taken away some 4,000 years later after being mocked, spit upon, beaten, humiliated, hung on a cruel Roman cross. Jesus Christ proclaimed, it is finished. All that we needed for salvation was complete. 
Nothing could be added or taken away from it. So here's my question. Do you have that rest in Christ? Is there a striving in your spirit? When an invitation is given, is it, I don't know, I hope so. Man, I pray that God hears me. I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. Or do you know if someone were to go to you and say, hey, by what right do you, have, do you get to go to heaven? By what rights do you have? And you're able to say, I have no rights, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, he's my savior. If that's in your heart, then you have that rest. The rest is just added bonus. Why? The works that you give, the works that you do, the money that you give, the serving that you do, that's based out of a love relationship. But the rest should be, that's finished. That's finished. Here's why it's so important, guys. Our job... Scott was talking to me about this last week. Our job really is to see people saved. Really nothing else matters. We could train them to be very good Christians, but if they're not saved, it means nothing. Our job is to to have a real walk with God so that people see it and want what we have. I'm not saying that you have to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not saying that you, you have to act one way or look a certain way or try to be, just be authentic, but be real that God has transformed your heart. Be so fired up for God that you, you're not afraid to pray with people anywhere because you love God. Don't be, oh, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm a little shy. No, listen, this is what God did. Look, you want to pray right now? No, okay. Well, I mean, I will. I will. Don't be afraid that when you're ministering to people, you go, listen, I don't know, but the Bible does. Let's, let's, Let's look at it. Let's see what it says. Guys, people can spot a a hypocrite a mile away. It's okay to go, I don't know, but I'll find the answer. I'll find the answer. Because what people are looking for is that real. And that, that real comes from just rest. From rest. Here's what's going to happen in your life, guys. When you have that rest, the enemy's going to attack that rest. Wants to get you unrested. Wants to get you, wants to get you riled up. Wants to pull drama in your life. He wants to get, he wants to steal your joy. I don't know if I'm saved. Man, put that to bed. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. The word that, that, that John uses, man, is, is I am what? My faith and trust in Jesus. I am confident. I am persuaded. I am saved. Amen. And that's all you got to do. Let the Lord trans, transform your heart so that others can see. That's all you got to do. What's Christianity? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You do those two things, people will come to know Jesus. People will come to know Jesus. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and the truth in your word. Thank you, God, that we can see how wonderful you rest, how you gave us a beautiful pattern, how everything points to Jesus. 
We love you. And so, no, Lord, with, with that information, with your word of God in our hearts, we choose to worship you now. We choose to sing to you and to love you and to just cry out to you in prayer. Lord, if we're here and we need forgiveness, we cry out for forgiveness. We just trust you, Lord. Thank you for a beautiful time in Bible study. We thank you that we can just come here on a Wednesday night and get fed. Your spirit is a beautiful teacher. So thank you, Lord. Bless this church, God. We look forward to what you want to say on Sunday morning, God. We're excited even to get ready to come back. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.